We respectfully acknowledge the University of Arizona is on the land and territories of indigenous peoples. Today, Arizona is home to 22 federally recognized tribes, with Tucson being home to the Autumn and Yaqui. Committed to diversity and inclusion, the university strives to build sustainable relationships with sovereign native nations and indigenous communities through education offerings, partnerships, and community service. episode of the PA Path Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Lohenry, and we are glad you could join us as we seek to better understand the PA profession. episode 37. We're changing things up a little bit today for some fun. Today we get to interview Kevin Shore from The Shores, which is a band back in the late 90s, early 2000s that had two albums, their Trevor album in 1998, Step Outside in 2001. Kevin is a phenomenal musician, but he's also an incredible leader and PA educator. Kevin is the Associate Professor and Director of Graduate Studies at the University of Kentucky, College of Health Sciences, BA Studies Department. He has instructional responsibilities in a variety of medicine courses, but also has interprofessional education responsibilities within the university. He also has a strong interest in healthcare quality, patient safety, interprofessional education and practice. And he is a national advocate for the profession and former board member with the Physician Assistant Education Association. Dr. Schur also earned his Doctor of Public Health from the University of Kentucky College of Public Health with an emphasis in health management and policy. And Steph and I enjoy the opportunity to not only listen to some of his favorite music, but also to hear about his path to becoming a PA and about the University of Kentucky PA program. We hope you enjoy it as well. Come on my shirt But before you walk away Please believe me You and I could make this work I knew right from the day we met What you were worth You and I could make this work I'm not over to say right here Thanks for joining us, Kevin. We're really excited to connect with you again. Well, it's it's an honor to be here. I know you just looking through everybody that you've had on, it's remarkable you would have even considered asking me to be on. So um, <laughs> it's my honor <laughs> to be here. 
<laughs> that's very kind. Yeah, that's kind. Well, Kev, thank you so much for joining Steph and I. We're really excited to reconnect with you after all those years on the board together and and uh, in committees and other things that we've done, like music. And, and I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk a little bit about that. But let's start with talking about your path to becoming a PA. How did you end up joining the PA profession? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's um, I'll take this. It's nice to be connected. You know, I, I like seeing you guys, but this is um, this is perfect. So thanks. So how did I get started? Wow. You know, I, I say it this way. I mean, I probably most like you all and most like the folks who listen. I mean, I was always interested in health and the body. And I don't know, it just always fascinated me as a kid. I like to tinker and um, do different things. But I always really found the human body just uh, fascinating. I don't know. So I always gravitated to the science courses and did well in those courses. And, uh, you know, really, I think my high school, you know, I graduated high school, I'll date myself in 1992. And, you know, I, I don't know how this occurred, but uh, growing up in central Ohio, but I knew about the PA profession uh, back then. And hearing about it and uh, didn't really put much thought into it, right? Going in, going into college, just um, excited to go to college. But once I came, I actually went to the University of Kentucky undergrad. And uh, we, University of Kentucky has one of the oldest PA programs around. Um, and so fortunately for me, when I landed here, I got a full steady dose of, of our program here at the university. Um, it's legacy so that's when I really started feeling or hearing more about uh, the profession was really through the lens of what UK was doing and had done. And I, I mean, I guess uh, going through, I've always was really focused in on medicine and medicine courses and maybe thinking about pre-med biology through my undergrad years. And one little piece of this that probably is worth telling is that, you know, I also was a musician. I thought I wanted to go to school for music and get a music degree. And so I didn't get the music degree, but my brother and I started a band in, in undergrad, and that sort of, I guess, in a good way, sidetracked us for a few years after college doing the music thing. But I was oh, this this profession and, and caring for people really always was trying to pull me back and, and call me back into a more formal training. And at the time, you know, then doing the band thing for a few years and thinking about going back to medical school, you know, four plus probably four or five years in a residency, maybe probably a fellowship knowing me. I mean, you're talking 10 plus years at, at that time. I just, I wanted to really get in and get out. And, you know, that's part of the beauty of the profession and the training, you know, you get in and get out. And so uh, it just was a good fit for me personally at that time in my life. You know, it was always a good fit for me just growing up and it, it just checked all the boxes for me. It, it satisfied the curiosity. I love people. I love talking. Uh, I love medicine. And so there's an art to it. So it can get the left and right side of the brain working. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it just made good sense to me at that point in my life to get into PA school. And so, yeah, I'll just stop there. I mean, I can go, I can go on, but that's really how for me was my, was my walk. And then what led you to your first clinical job and, and tell us more about that decision. Yeah. I guess you would consider me non-traditional as 30 when uh, I got into PA school and I think, you know, I think a lot of people see the world differently at 25 than they do 30, right? For me, I had family and, and children. And, and so, you know, coming out of PA school, I, I guess, and then also having a, a background in public health, I already had my master's in public health. 
I sort of saw everything maybe slightly different than my peers, not in a better way, you know, but just, just in a different way and different priorities, right? And so um, a couple months before I graduated PA school, I was connected with a physician who uh, had started a, a, a fellowship program with the National Center for Patient Safety. And uh, it was a year-long fellowship opportunity to study more about quality patient safety and, uh, and systems, health systems in 2008. And so Dr. Joe Canigliero uh, is my guy. He, uh, he talked me into maybe considering it, and I did. It uh, was a year long, and I was getting um, this sort of deep introduction into quality, patient safety, uh, health systems, how they function, the dysfunction. And then also, I was a brand new PA, so I was able to work clinically, and I worked in emergency medicine sort of part-time. It was sort of moonlighting through that whole fellowship program in emergency medicine. So really, really cool. I got to have uh, the clinical experience and then obviously the academic experience in quality and safety. So that's that's where I started out. It had to be a really interesting experience for you to be going through that fellowship yeah. through the lens of patient safety and then also being a clinician in a health system that I presume had its own challenges. No, Kev, that's exactly right. I mean, and that's really why I started to consider teaching. I had no formal, a lot of us never really had any formal uh, training and and being a teacher, but what I recognized, you're exactly right. What I recognized, seeing all the the function and dysfunction, and then understanding it kind of on the front end with the public health background, and then also going through that fellowship training, quality safety. I was just really seeing all of these things, these shortcomings come sort of come to life, and all these how things were so inefficient, and oftentimes leading to dangerous situations. Like I just wasn't even prepared for that. And the reason I wasn't prepared for that is we really weren't talking about these things in PA school or medical school or, you know, so uh, I just, I started to think how important it, it would be for us to at least have a discussion around what kind of care we, we deserve in our system and, and how our system might actually, uh, we need a system that protects us from us, right? And we oftentimes don't have a system that protects us from us. So all of these things that just sort of converge in a I was crazy enough to walk into, she's a former dean, but the dean at the time of our, our college within which the PA program is uh, situated. And I just had this conversation with her. I'd love an opportunity to maybe guest lecture and, uh, and all the faculty knew who I was here too. So they afforded me an opportunity to do that. And um, that's sort of what launched my um, a teaching career, I guess. to me the things we just cannot be I've walked down this road this road's too dark to see as I I've come back to you for you just to run away from me again now I walk down this road sometimes an unbeaten path and I survive this life Love's aftermath and then somehow I stand tall You tall enough to see it all I need you even though Should I go along the way, baby That you've chosen for me Just think back on all of the things That you gave up Sit or stare Or to fight my way 
the University of Kentucky's PA program. We really like to highlight programs and hear a little bit about your program and kind of maybe what sets your program apart, you think, from other programs, and certainly any advice that you have for potential applicants. Yeah, so, um, you know, the University of Kentucky has been around since 1974-5, right? It's an old program. And uh, there's some beauty in that in, in terms of, you know, hey, we're established, um, we've been around, we've been at the table. I've worked with some colleagues who had served the, the program for like 30 years. So I was able to learn under them. We have a rural campus. It was, a, it was that's not originally how it was set up. But about the time we switched over to a graduate program back in the late 90s, the state of Kentucky found it important for us to, or for someone to develop a program where we would train local, sort of rural local students in that environment so that we could move them out into rural parts of the state to, to meet all the healthcare needs, right? Because rural medicine and urban medicine is different. We just see different things. We're resourced differently. And so, so the university and the state government saw that uh, as an opportunity for us to have a rural campus in, in Moorhead, Kentucky. And uh, it's about 60, 65, almost 70 miles east of Lexington, which is Lexington's right in the middle of the state. And what a fascinating opportunity for us to be right in the middle, uh, have, a, have a satellite part of our program in an area of the country that I would really, I would argue, rival some of the most underserved, most distressed in terms of chronic disease, I mean, you could find. And unfortunately, you, Kentucky's sort of infamous for a lot of these chronic diseases and behavioral patterns that you know, manifest chronic disease. So we have about 15 students roughly every year in that campus and about 40 some odd students here on our Lexington campus. And uh, yeah, so maybe Steph, that's what really makes one of the things that makes our program unique uh, that we're established. We have a rural campus with um, sort of an emphasis on, on rural medicine. And then maybe the other thing that um, we've sort of been known for, it's really because of um, people like David Ferringer, who's been, been here for a long, long time. A lot of folks know David. Um, David was always very active in international rotations. And so we will always get students to apply to the program wanting to uh, take advantage of uh, international rotations. And David has uh, friends. And consequently, now we all have friends all over the world. And uh, that really sets us sets us apart from a lot of other programs who may not be able to do stuff like that. So it's a great place to work. It's uh, we have great students. And, and yeah, just fortunate to, to have been here for about 14 years. So tell us a little bit about the curriculum is, you know, how it's structured and what a student's expectation might be coming into your program. Yeah, I think the hardest thing about PA school is getting in. That's a lot of people say that. I mean, uh, probably you all could attest to that. It's a difficult. But once you're in, I don't think our, I mean, I think our curriculum is very similar to a lot of places where, where you have this uh, right as you come in, you have a sort of foundational basic science, a lot of basic science work on the front end, anatomy, physiology, uh, pathophys. Right. And then we sort of ramp it up into clinical medicine courses. Then we have uh, physical exam courses and pharmacology. And then it continues to, I guess, spiral up. 
until right before our students go out onto the, their clinical rotations, you've, you've had a steady dose of not only basic science, uh, but also uh, understanding and learning uh, clinical medicine. So yeah, so the didactic, our, our whole entire program is two and a half years. So all of that's pretty standard. There's a lot of programs that uh, have sort of that, I guess, framework that they operate out of their, their curriculum. Some other things that I think make our curriculum unique is, you know, we've really started to talk to our students more and more and more about leadership and interprofessional education. So, and that's not really in response to, to accreditation standards. I mean, certainly we'll, uh, we want to make sure that we're addressing standards, obviously do, but I think it was the, the impetus of, of putting more leadership and interprofessional education sort of training, if you will, really was driven largely from the science one. And then two, that, you know, a lot of our patients expect me, I work in internal medicine and others who work in medicine, they really expect us to be collaborative with, with the social worker, with the physical therapist, with the physician, right? There's an expectation there, but yet this was yet another uh, area that we, we really didn't have a whole lot of instruction and in. we never had really a lot of conversation around what does it look like academically? Let's talk about how that might look and why it's important. And so uh, the university has been super supportive and really well known for interprofessional uh, education work. And so, so I think our program is, our curriculum has been the recipient of uh, a lot of resources around IPE. And um, I think that would, that that's separates us out maybe from other places that, you know, it's hard to find the time to do that and the resources to be able to pull off interprofessional activities. So I think our students have really enjoyed what we offer them here in terms of IPE. And then the leadership piece is, is starting to develop. I planned on talking to maybe both y'all about that at some point from a curriculum standpoint, but, but yeah, it just gives you a little flavor for, for our, and then of course I didn't touch on uh, clinical rotations, but pretty standard across the board. We do have, we've fiddled with our elective rotations. Um, again, this is a, uh, over the years we've offered uh, students to go and, and participate on their internal medicine rotation overseas. We've created academic electives for students that might be interested in teaching. And so those have been really interesting and fun. We've tried a leadership elective rotations for students who are interested in and leadership opportunities and connected them with uh, health administration. So yeah, so a unique curriculum in, in a few regards. So yeah, I may, may give you a little bit of a sense for what we do. So I'm, I'm interested in kind of exploring that leadership piece a little bit more. You yeah. mentioned it both in incorporating it in the didactic curriculum and then as well as some opportunities in the clinical curriculum. Um, certainly, you know that that's a that's a passion of both Kevin Low Henry's. I'm 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 on with the two infamous the two Kevins. I right. don't have to be specific about this. I'm <laughs> so honored today to be on with the two Kevins. Okay. When we think about leadership and kind of the future of our profession, tell me a little bit about kind of the impetus of wanting to incorporate more of that leadership into the curriculum, both in the didactic and the clinical phase, particularly as as we kind of look forward in where our profession is headed. Yeah, Steph. So. Uh, such a great question. You know, for me, it's, you know, I honestly start with what is leadership and, you know, what does it look like in the clinical arena? What, what's needed in, in the clinical arena for, in terms of a leader? And I think their traditional leader is, you know, some, someone who's deep in administration, making decisions, sometimes in a solo capacity or maybe bring around an executive team. And, you know, I honestly, for us and for our students, I think 
when we talk about leadership, I think we're really starting with, are, are you emotionally intelligent? How would you know? You know, what, what, are, what, are the, what are the attributes of leadership that we feel is really important to help patients change behavior? You know, like that's one of the most difficult things that we do in medicine is getting someone to stop smoking or, or losing weight. We know those things matter. So the, the emotional intelligence, the communication piece, I mean, leaders have to be very, very communicative, very high level. They need to uh, rally teams. You know, it's it's less about them and, and more about how do they how do they put people around patients so that patients can thrive and be healthy. You know, so I know I'm talking about this just sort of sort of out that we've really really have just gone back to the drawing board. So what do we at this point in time? What do we really need in terms of a leader? Like, what does it look like for us? And I think what I've seen in, in clinical leadership is. What we've done is is we find those great clinicians and we promote them to administrative roles, and then we're not we're we're sort of surprised that when they when they ascend to these administrative roles that it may or to run health systems or whatnot that it doesn't necessarily work out and just sort of head scratcher. For me, it's it makes a lot of sense. I mean, there was just never the skills aren't compatible, right? I mean, the skills to be a really great clinician and and someone you can count on. Don't, it's not a one-to-one thing that then you can run a department or, or run a health system, right? And so what, what's the, di- so I've, we've sort of dug into, so what, what, what is it then? I mean, what are we, what are we looking for? And so, and so to your point and to your question, Steph, about uh, developing courses in our curriculum, I mean, we've got a, everybody's got this jam-packed curriculum. It's very difficult to figure out where to, and what to do and how to do it at anything extra, but we know that there does need to be some some didactic, if you will, instruction or small group thinking, whatever, and some kind of application that also needs to happen on the clinical side of things. And I know there's folks listening and programs out there that have done this well. Who please email me. But I mean, we're we're really we're really just trying to explore this right now, and we know how desperately important it is for our students to uh, who are interested in leadership, what it looks like, what we expect, and maybe how to do it. Speaking of leadership, let's talk about your leadership. You have uh, a demonstrated record of leadership within our profession. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that, about what led you into leadership positions within the profession and, and in your personal life and kind of what, what you have gained from that and how you feel like you've been able to contribute back to the PA profession? Well, I'll just start by saying, thinking back through all of the different opportunities that I've had, I'm, um, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just grateful and never did I ever sort of uh, think that it was like I was earning these things. You know what I mean? Like I, I it's maybe sounds strange to some of us, but it, it honestly, it just, it, but it's not to say that it just, just sort of poof happened either. Right. But there's this in, in, in with as much gratitude as, as I have, I have just been um, able to um, take advantage of some opportunities, but, you know, sort of thinking about how those things happened, I guess the attribute that, that comes out is I was just always curious, number one, and I like people. I like connections with you and, and Kev and, and others. I love, I just, and because I'm always just, I know I can learn stuff from people. And so I've, I just have always been that way. And, you know, just to be real concrete about this, I mean, I think once I, once I found a sort of a niche in patient safety and, um, and healthcare quality, I mean, that did, I guess, separate me out from, 
maybe my other colleagues who were just going into practice medicine. So I was, I, I did have something that was maybe unique that I, that I really loved. I never was going to use that to wedge myself into leadership opportunities, but I recognized that that was different. I was the only PA at the time to have taken advantage of that uh, national fellowship opportunity. So, you know, because of that, I met a lot of folks at um, APA. Uh, I was on the Equality Care Committee, the former Equality Care Committee for the APA, and just was with people of like mind who had similar interests, who uh, maybe had done more work in the quality and safety arena that were PAs, and so I had a natural affinity there. And then, of course, with just meeting more people and connections, I'm just thinking of all the faces and the names, the folks that I started to meet. It just sort of happened really quickly that I met a lot of people and I would just keep asking them what they do. And I was honored to serve the BAEA board for five years. It was supposed to be four. I got an extra year. I don't know why. I, I think I want a coin flip. Yeah, we're trying to <laughs> figure out term limits. But uh, but wow, what a what a great opportunity that was to be at that table uh, with in conversations with both of you over the years around big, big things. And so um, so, yeah, and then all, all of that to say is uh, so for me and uh, what I do professionally. So all of the things that, that I've done leadership wise have helped me to become you know, a better teacher, a better listener, a better advisor, a better sort of administrator for the things that that I have a direct influence over within the, the, the department. So yeah, so although uh, I don't necessarily look for leadership opportunities, there are a few that, that, that I would aspire to, but I think just the attributes of just always being curious uh, and making connections with people, those, those things really matter. They have helped me over, over the years. Kev, when we look at applicants and, and programs are considering applicants for the PA profession, I, I would argue historically for many, many years, we limited ourselves as a profession because we were just looking for people that really wanted to take great care of people mm-hmm. and, and were good team players and mm-hmm. you know really wanted to be clinical PAs, whereas mm-hmm. perhaps some other professions were, were looking at a diversity of passions differently. Yeah. I, I think we're I think we're moving in that direction more. But as you think about this leadership curriculum at the University of Kentucky, what are the what are some of those changes that the application process may show for applicants that are interested in participating in leadership opportunities? That's what are great. maybe ways that they can set themselves apart and, and be a stronger applicant for you? Well let me speak to what you just said, Kev, because I hundred percent agree with you. Uh, right. And thank goodness that we are starting to have a, a health system that's populated with practitioners that just aren't all chemistry and biology majors. Like I was a biology major. I'm not, bang, I'm not banging on those, but I, 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 but you know, there is a certain sort of a mindset approach, thinking communication style with, with folks that are really good in, in those disciplines. And the fact of the matter is our health system is full of patients that have people that have all kinds of different backgrounds. And so this relatability, it needs to, to, to be there. And so to your point, I mean, musicians, uh, folks that are interested in engineering, you know, but also have having to ensure somewhere that, you know, they um, through prerequisites or otherwise that you can, we're not going to set them up for failure by, um, having them come into a program and not be ready for, you know, big physiology or pharmacology courses. But I, I love that point. And um, another thing that I think I'm, we're so proud of our program over the years, and I won't take the credit. There's other folks here that need to take the credit 
for designing our admissions process. That is a holistic, holistic approach. And I know that that's been challenging all across the board. What is a holistic admissions approach? What are you measuring? But for us, that is one way that we can, uh, to your, to your question and to your point, Kev, that is one way that we've been able to find those students who, yeah, they're interested in sciences and healthcare, but they also have these great, great passion and interests that you wouldn't necessarily think line up with a career in medicine, but students that are uh, English majors or poets, or uh, I, I like to talk right and left brain. I mean, these folks that are real, real creative, we need those folks in medicine. We need those people caring for people. And so I think a holistic admissions process, although not perfect, allows us to, to maybe find those um, versus a system that was really an admissions process that's built uh, solely objectively on, on numbers, GPAs and, and Jerry scores, et cetera. So. And, and have you found, you know, I think as you think about patient safety, one of the things I recall as our profession began to include patient safety in the accreditation standards mm-hmm. It was shocking to me how many people are negatively impacted in our health system annually from errors, from medical errors. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, part of the crux of interprofessional education is to to break down silos and improve communication. And uh, part of our systems-based approach to teaching about health systems is to help us recognize where there are challenges in the system that impact patients in in a negative way. How... That intersectionality for you between your patient safety passions and kind of the evolution of the education, how has that impacted both you and your program? Yeah, so it's in, well, I, I mean, it's impacted me um, because, you know, I, as a clinician, I, I've, I've been right there. I've been right there um, where the system sort of conspires against you. And you're like, how in the world did this happen? You know, I've had stories as many people do uh, within my family about, you know, care that may have gone sideways or not the way that they, they wanted. And then, and then again, referencing the data, I mean, I think British medical journals put something out five, six years ago that harm unintentional harm from uh, accessing the medical system was the third leading cause of death. How is that even possible? Right. The Institute of Medicine put out a report in the late 90s to air as human. And actually that that report really set set us on a on a path for um, a conversation around patient safety. And they they report around 100,000 people a year die from um, from unintentional medical harm. And as we all know, that probably and that number is probably vastly underestimated now. So it's just why we, the question of why and how has always been curious to me. So, so I, so I see it as a clinician, uh, always trying to, to envision a system that's protecting us from us, but then also it's, it's great for me because I, I do have, I, I guess, sort of expertise in that area. I've, I've been published a little bit in it. I've, I've uh, had extra training. I am a clinician. I've seen the uh, quote unquote fires uh, in patient care. And then I'm able to sort of, try to have a conversation with our students about that students that may or may not have a whole lot of clinical exposure experiences. And, you know, some may find it hard to believe that these things actually really do happen. And so teach a course in health systems where we, we talk about that. Cause I, I think we're of the opinion that in this program, that um, in order for our students to thrive in the health system as practitioners, we think it's, it's, it's important that our students understand the system within which they're going to work. Uh, you know, not just from the reimbursement side, but, you know, 
uh, systems of care, um, how it works, um, all the disparities that we see uh, that, are, that have been created over the years, how, how, are, uh, how does that affect the patient? Or what can you do as a provider to, to limit um, not only harm, but just disparities that, that, that are occurring? And it just seems like we, without even thinking about it, these things happen. So we try to really um, teach that from an academic standpoint um, when our students come in here. And, and uh, then we also again, from an academic standpoint, really walk them through as they get more and more learned up, I guess, on medicine, and then also get more and more patient experience through the rotations, we bring back uh, activities for them to think through in terms of, uh, hey, did, was anybody harmed? Did you ever see anybody harmed? Did you see where care sort of broke down? And why did that happen? To hopefully better prepare them to, to get out and be effective and efficient um, and patient-centered when they get out of our program. It's almost like that you're preparing them to wear a different set of goggles to see the world through. Yeah, um, like that. So that's that's great. shift to something a little bit more enjoyable for you, which is your music career. You know, as I think about my own experiences in hospitals and health systems, it was always astounding how many physicians yeah. also played instruments. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there was a, a general surgeon at my, my first hospital as a PA that started a band that played in the county fair every year. And it, it seems to be a good outlet for the scientific folks to have that that other side of the brain be engaged. Uh, you are the only PA in the country that I'm aware of that actually can be found with a couple albums on Spotify. You've got Trevor in 1998 and Step Outside in 2001 with your oh. your band. Do you want to talk a little bit about the, the music in those albums and kind of where you're at with your music these days? It's like I probably need to struck you a check for that that nice uh, <laughs> i mean that, i can't i can't thank you enough <laughs> no i mean um yeah i would i mean pa should yeah. be supporting pas this well, is this is the perfect so opportunity funny. so it's so funny well no i kev you you're you're a great musician in your own right so let uh, let's just get that out there too yeah i mean uh, apart from uh, there you know I, 
it's just a music's always been a big part of my life. It's a big it, part of my identity. And uh, the people that know me know that it's something that's different, right? And not everybody, you know, I, I, I get that. It's something that's a little uh, intriguing. I also get that. But it is a huge part of, of what makes me who I am. I always have been. I just remember, I'm, I don't want to go, I don't want to do the, uh, I'm going to take you back over the last 40 years, but um, my parents just weren't um, musical, but they loved good music. And I just, you couldn't, you couldn't get away from it in our house. They would always have music on. And, and um, I just, for some reason, I was just bitten by it early on. And, um, and I'm fortunate to have two awesome brothers, one of which I'm just 11 months older than. And so Jamie and I just uh, would do everything together, probably still do everything together to, to my, to our wives chagrin, if you will. But, uh, but, but we started a band just messing around in college, started a band and it just, yeah, it, it, a couple of our friends and then their friends, friends and more friends. And so the next thing you know, it's, it's, it's like a small business when you're in college and you know anything about medicine, I think, having a earned a college degree is probably uh, inverse re, inversely related to your success as a musician, right? So you don't necessarily need a, an undergraduate or college degree to be a rock star. So we, um, we did that for, uh, I did earn a, a degree, but yeah, we did it for a few years and met a lot of great people, have a lot of great stories you can imagine, but um, I still, still uh, am active in, in the community in terms of music. Kev, you and I have done stuff and being silly. Uh, so uh, it's, um, yeah, there, I, I can I can make the, the connection between what I do here and music very easily. I mean, uh, it, it's just been a lot of fun. And I've again, I've met a lot of people. I'm always meeting people that remembered when we played uh, around here, which is always interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, I've had a, and all the students, the students have fun with that too. Even. I'm sure you can you can still find some Kevin Shore uh, outtakes on on uh, YouTube, I believe. So yes. if you're looking yeah. if you're looking to see somebody have fun playing music, uh, definitely check them out. Thanks, Kev. Appreciate that. <laughs> and I think Kevin's Kevin's being pretty humble in in you know saying that he's an okay musician. He's actually a fantastic musician. So well, if you uh, if if you find it if you find the time to Google him, please please give it a listen because <laughs> you won't be sorry. Those are great. Yeah. And, and my student, the students that we teach won't be sorry either. They just absolutely love it. The, that I, um, that's what I, um, do. They just, they just eat that up. Actually, to be honest, I think it makes, uh, there is this re- relatability piece too, that I think is, is helpful when they're getting into PA school and they find that, you know, their professors didn't just, uh, go to school for a hundred years and do nothing else. Uh, there are things that, uh, we do that, that make us who we are. So they, they love it. You know, and students are always what? looking, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Students are always looking for, uh, ways to kind of, you know, make learning easier. Have you, have you started assisting them with, you know, putting learning theories, mnemonics, things like that to music yet so that they can help, you know, remember these? Yeah. You know, I, you're Steph, you're like the, honestly like the 10th person that has told me i am i'm absolutely missing out by not bringing a guitar to class and doing this um i don't think i know the the answer to the question is no i've not done it i'm not sure i'm not sure 
I'm not sure. I, I just will see. We'll see about that. I just don't know how that. Uh... I have a great friend who's a math teacher, and he puts all kinds of things, uh, all kinds right. of math concepts to music. And his um, two of my children still to this day remember exactly. all the lyrics to those. So exactly. I think, I, I think you know, as far as committing really important concepts to memory long term, I think putting it to music. I mean, how many of us don't? still hear a music you know a song from the 80s or the 70s and the words just come right out right Correct. and you're thinking uh, and i i still say that that's the reason that i don't remember all the important things in my life because my head is cluttered with 80s music lyrics right. you know <laughs> so, so i think there's something to that that you know if we just put really important things to music i think yes. those i think those concepts will stick with us i think I it's something you need to consider i'm totally missing out and i know that 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 would be something that they would never ever forget just for one it'd be just so off the wall corny but two to your point like we could talk about this i mean when a song comes on those lyrics just come out like that and um yeah they're never gonna they're never gonna remember a, a what i think a great lecture might have been but they'd always remember uh the the experience of right of just sitting around and playing guitar with uh, dr Schuer. um yeah so we'll and see you get to we'll get see. paid to play so you should just do that yeah i agree with steph well, Kevin, we always like to kind of close with uh, giving our guests an opportunity to just really share any other thoughts or ideas that they felt like they wanted to chat about before before we close out. So is there anything that we didn't cover today that you wanted to talk about? Wow. Well, again, guys, I know both of you and I respect the absolute heck out of both of you. And I just can't wait to to see you all next, really. Uh, and whoever's listening the similar i um i that's that's really one of the beautiful things about being a pa educator and we talked about this at the board is the hug factor at our and john bowser colorado knows what i'm talking about the board does the hug factor with the pa educators is like off the charts and so uh i think the only thing that i would say is apart from thank you and it's been a real privilege to be here is I always try to take a minute to remind people, I don't need to remind you, but just to call it out that, uh, you know, we, uh, our world is, is an interesting place. And um, I think educators get this in general, but just to, uh, just to love and encourage on people, I think goes a long way, opening doors for people and saying thank you and, and all of those things. I think um, as we sort of are trying to re-enter into a different world after the pandemic, that's what I'm trying to say remind myself every morning is especially with the students that that we have that are getting younger and younger and we're getting older and older is all of the things that they're trying to face and work through in this world it's it's a challenging and so we just try to love on them as much as we can and it's a real thing and i'm really proud of the folks that i work with here who do that every day and i know you guys do the same thing and so uh thank you guys for for being who you are and doing this i think this has been great Kevin, thanks so much for joining us today and for sharing your thoughts and great ideas and for letting us hear a little bit about the University of Kentucky. Uh, hopefully uh, any students who are thinking about the university got a little bit of insight into the program and are even more excited about applying to, to your program. So thanks for your service to our profession and for all of the fantastic music you've shared with us and yeah. the fellowship. And um, we hope to, as you said, we hope to, we hope to share a hug again soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, thank guys. You, Kevin. It. Well, we want to thank our guest, Dr. Kevin Shore, for joining us today to share about his path to becoming a PA, to share about the University of Kentucky PA School, and to share about his impressive music career.
We're going to provide a few video links to Kevin singing some cover songs with the Lexington Lab Band on our website, papathpodcast.com. We would definitely recommend you check it out, especially his cover of Bill Withers' Use Me, which is quite incredible. Tune in next week as we speak with Dr. Brian Loff from the University of Nevada, Reno. Brian talks to us about his path to becoming a PA, about his state and national leadership roles, and about the developing program up in Reno in one of the most beautiful parts of the country. We're going to sign out with a song by The Shores called Strange World. this podcast is to provide news and information on the PA profession and is for informational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and guests and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of the University of Arizona. My time's